It is weird how quickly we move from one thing to the next. Do you realize that in 2013, Frozen came out? And that song that has punished so many moms and dads, that's five years old. Uh, Alex will bring Lydia with her to work. Alex is our uh, administrative assistant. Lydia is at work with her. And there are times that I will hear uh, the Moana soundtrack playing. That song and that, that movie is three years old. Things fly by. 1994, this song was the most popular song from Disney's release of the year. This was not the one that sold the most tracks. It was the one that got stuck in heads. Mr. Aladdin, sir, what would your pleasure be? Let me take your order. Jot it down. You ain't never had a friend like me. Life is your restaurant and I'm your maitre d'. Come on, whisper what it is you want. You ain't, ain't, good word, never had a friend like me. Yes, sir, we pride ourselves on service. You're the boss, the king, the shawl. Say what you wish, it's yours, tradition. How about a little more baklava? I did not know what baklava was to that point in my life. But, so this stays with people. It's one of those songs that just, it, it's catchy, it resonates with you. And the background for it is that you have... I don't want to spoil the movie for you from 1994. But Aladdin goes into a cave, takes hold of a lamp, and when he rubs the lamp, a genie pops out. A genie who tells him he will grant him whatever he wishes with just a few exceptions. And that is the mindset that many people subconsciously look at Psalm 37.4 with. Delight yourself in the Lord cause... And He will give you the desires of your heart. If you do this, then God has no choice but to do this. If you act in this way, then God will definitely act in this way. God is a genie in a bottle whose power is released by our heart's desires. King James says it this way. We've done this each week. I feel like it's necessary just so that we can find out if the problem is with one particular translation or with something else. King James says this, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. The New Living Translation says, Take delight in the Lord and He will give you your heart's desires. The message reads this, Keep company with God. Get in on the best. And that is the message, possibly a fortune cookie, more than likely a Kanye West tweet. That 
So it doesn't seem that the problem is specific to one's translation like we found in some of our other texts. Jeremiah 29, 11, much of the problem with the way that we have understood that passage historically comes with the word prosperity and that's not what seems to be happening here. This verse, the problem that we have to have with it is if we read it on an island, apart from all of the other Bible verses, it's just a blank check that God has chosen to give us. I don't need that God. You don't need that God. I and you, we are that God. If we don't give context, we shift from the God who is for us to a God who as at best works for us and at worst who happens to be us. This God is just a supersized, overpowered version of ourselves and much of us want this to be the God that we worship. Maybe not consciously. But who doesn't want a genie in a bottle? If I delight enough in Chad, then I get what Chad wants. For point of reference, Oprah has stated this is her favorite verse. On multiple occasions in 2003, a young lady who wanted to interact with Oprah a lot interacted with her, eventually ended up hugging Oprah, but Oprah shared this verse with her as her favorite. After she'd shared another verse, Philippians 4.13, which we spent a little time in. But this verse isn't an island verse. This verse has things behind it, things around it, things taking place that cause it to transpire and for us to see what God would have us to see, to receive what God would have us to receive, to be what God would have us to be, we at least need to look at a few of the cushion verses around it. Because it's really fun to say, if I delight in the Lord, He'll give me what I want. What I really, really want. 37, verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and they will wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and and do good. Dwell Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice... As the noonday. Now, we have a a tradition in church where there are certain things that are always the right answer. Am I right? Like if we're to go through a, a lesson time or a small group time, what we find is if you can land your kids right now in Gospel Project, and probably you just a little more connivingly, if you use these answers, you're always going to be right. Go to church. Read your Bible. And pray. Jesus. And then Jesus again. Those are really helpful answers in any Christian setting and scenario. When we talk about the Old Testament, there is another name that comes into play, in particular when you're in the Psalms, as to who wrote them. If someone were to ask you who wrote the Psalm, you are more than likely correct if you say whom. Okay. 
For those of you who did not answer in the call and response portion of our program, if someone is to ask you who wrote a psalm, the answer is more than likely whom? David. To understand what's taking place here, we have to consider what's happening in David's life. Most commentators believe when David wrote this psalm, he was old. There are really, there are multiple stages to David's life. I've narrowed them down to four. There is uh, stage one, young Goliath slaying, veggie tale movie making David. We know who he is. The second would be warrior king David. There's this third dark, dark phase of David's life that I like to call old horrendous choice regarding Bathsheba, among other things, David. The fourth stage of David's life I call the really old about to die, David. So David, most believe, is really old when he writes this. And it, this psalm in particular makes sense for us when we consider it in that light. And here's why. He's looking back at his own life, considering all of the places where he had made decisions... All of the angst and anxiety and all the effects of the enemy that had come upon him. And he's saying to his younger self or to anyone who may read, Look, I worried about this all the time. I stressed about this. I was filled with angst and anger and rage about this. Just to help me out. Think about when you, like, think through where you are right now. So help me out. If you're in your 20s, raise your hand. Okay? If you're in your 30s, raise your hand. If you're in your 40s, raise your hand. That's, that's my people. Just got there. 10 years. We're going to have a good time. So, if you are in your more than 40s, raise your hand. Okay. Consider where you are now. So, if you're in your 20s, what advice would you give to your 12-year-old self? If you're in your 30s, hands up again, 30s. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? If you're in your 40s, what advice would you give to your 30-year-old self? If you're in your more than 40s, what advice would you give to your 40-year-old self? Considering the advice that you are giving... With all of the complications that present themselves to you right now in this space and in the, that space that you're considering, imagine if you happen to be the most powerful man in the world. You could have anything you wanted, any person you wanted, you could overtake any kingdom you wanted. You have people surrounding you who hate you. You are literally having to kill giants when you're a child. That's what the precious moments teach us. When we ask those questions, it gives light to what David's saying to us when he considers his enemies. Here are the things that are in your worship guide. They're also in my worship guide. The first thing that we see in verses 1 and 2, it's the fault with us. The fault with us. 
David, as he looks back at his own life, considers the fault that's there and advises anyone who comes after him to fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. The idea of fret in the Hebrew language, it means to get hot. Don't let those who would do you wrong cause your blood to boil. Don't let those who would mistreat you cause rage to come out of you. Though there are things that are being done to you that need to be handled. You cannot sweat those things. Easier said than done, but an advice from a very old, very wise David to all of those who read what he writes. Don't get hot about this. Don't get hot about this. Don't get angry about this, he says. Again, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Who are these wrongdoers? And what is taking place in the lives of these wrongdoers that would cause me or you to look and say, I want what they have. The Bible is really clear on envy. People like to say the Bible's not clear on stuff until you read the Bible and you're like, oh, it's kind of clear on stuff. Let me give you some Bible examples of do not be envious. Proverbs 23, 17, Galatians 5, 26, 1 Peter 2, verse 1. All of them say, don't be envious. So I'm pretty sure God, from every angle, has said, envy's not good. Don't be envious. It's not an idea that helps us to be like this coming king that David is foreshadowing. Don't be envious. Don't be anxious. Don't be agitated. Because these things are not eternal. For they will soon fade like the grass. And they will wither like the green herb. Do you know how long it takes a flower to die? Here in southeast Texas. We don't even get to see them live. They're gone. And David is saying to us, this is the world that we live in. Your enemies before the eternal God who has made promises to you. They do not compare in their value. So let's shift from valuing them negatively to valuing God positively. Well, what are some other verses that we may eat that help us to understand this? Well, Matthew 5.45 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that He makes God makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. It's common grace. In Matthew 6.35, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. 
angst, anxiety, agitation, anger, fret, all tied together. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? When a tower fell in Siloam killing hundreds, Jesus said this. Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think they were really worse offenders than all the people who were making offenses in Jerusalem? God's common grace is extended in that we can live and breathe. And the idea that's being communicated here, this, this, gut, this fault that God points out in every one of us, that we would hold ourselves in higher regard, view ourselves as more important than we should be, that we would dare be able to say, my enemy must be smited, a word I don't use often enough. That's not who our God would have us to be. Well, so if God doesn't want me to do that, and it's pretty clear, again, that God doesn't want me to do that. What would God have me and you to do with our enemies? And more importantly, with our lives. Because the fault with us is that we have these enemies and we want them to be dealt with. And we don't want them to be dealt with patiently or kindly or mercifully. We want them to be dealt with with vengeance and wrath. But every one of us, none of us want vengeance or wrath. How would God, if he's going to shift me from a fault with myself, what's his prescription? What's the fix from God? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And then we get to our big verse. The verse that we're writing blank blank checks with. The verse that causes God to squeeze out of a genie's lamp. Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. This verse has fuller meaning because God's addressing All of the anger and all of the rage and all of the wrongdoing in us as we want to deal with wrongdoers. What David offers us is for us to interact with God. God's fix for us when we are agitated, anxious, envious, or angry. Spend time with me. Through this semester, if you're unfamiliar, Josh Dawes was our student pastor. He moved in December. He'll actually be with us next week. Make sure that you are uh, welcoming to him. He'll have his wife Leslie with him. They'll have a baby with them. It's going to be a good time to catch up with them. But over this past semester, Jared and myself have spent time uh, dealing with our student ministry. Jared has served as a youth pastor. I've been his intern. 
It's been neat. Really neat experience. He, he makes me, you know, get waters and stuff. Go to Little Caesars. Yes, sir. So, uh, we've had some fill-in moments where other guys have helped. If you're in a place in your own life, like, I just want to encourage you. If you are seeking an opportunity to lead, let me rephrase that. The Lord may be seeking you to give you an opportunity to lead in this part of our church. So, with that in mind, I was with our students the other night, and we're having this conversation, and I like to have this conversation with, with Christians all the time. If you were to ask a group of Christians what they think about Jesus, well, I love Jesus, but I don't always feel like I'm a Christian. Well, what are you doing? What are you doing to sense the presence of the Lord in your life? Those three Christian answers. Do, do, do you read your Bible? Well, no. You pray? No. Do you go to church? Well, sometimes. What David is told... And what David tells us that he has learned from God is that the answer is not to be continually trying to course correct all that is wrong in a broken world, but to lean into whom we find all that is right. God shows us that we should do these things, the fix that God offers us, 3 through 5, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. Now, if we're not careful, we, we do what so many do with this verse we focus on the attributes that are present and not the God whom those attributes are taking us to when you listen to either of those Oprah videos you'll, you'll hear that from her and she'll even use a phrase in the older clip where she says as she talks about the Lord she defines what the Lord is the Lord is kindness and He's gracious and He's merciful. The Lord is these things. Not that He does those things or gives those things. He is these things. She literally says what the Bible means is that God is kindness. We've all had the conversation where we've got a new friend. And we're introducing a new friend to, to an old friend. And we're just kind of watching their interaction. And we'll just call this friend Tom. I don't know why. We're just going to call him Tom. So you meet a friend of a friend. His name happens to be Tom. You walk away and everyone agrees that Tom is whatever trait. Whatever trait you look for. Tom was so kind or Tom was so nice, or Tom was so friendly, he was jovial, he was extroverted. Guys, extroverted means that we... 
that we are people who uh, just okay. So you know, you know, it's the opposite of most of us. So uh, uh, Tom is the, he, Tom was hilarious. We'll go with that. Tom is hilarious. And everyone who had had that small experience with Tom would agree he was hilarious. But there's one person in the group who knows Tom the very best. And that person will say something to this effect. If you really knew Tom, you would know how funny he really is. You would know how funny all of those things he said were. Wave wave at me if you've ever been in this situation. If you knew him, you would know this is who he is. So we've got these attributes of God and none of them are bad. But none of them are specific to the God of the Bible. Every religion everywhere wants people to be kind. Satanists even call people out sometimes for for racism and stuff. Everyone wants everyone to be merciful. So if we're not careful, these attributes of God, kindness, mercy, gentleness, all true, but they are not wholly who God is. So what David would say to you is not commit yourself to the kindness of the Lord but to the Lord from whom you've received kindness. He would not tell you to delight in the mercy of the Lord but in the Lord from whom you've received mercy. Most of us would be satisfied with the concept shown. And if we're not careful, we miss the concept source. So what would God have us to do? Well, he gives three verbs here. To confide, we see that. To conform and to commit pastor friend help me through the alliteration of that confide conform commit trust in the lord and, and do god and and do and do good dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness so the first thing that we would see is that we as those who have a relationship with god through jesus would confide in him that we would Trust Him. That we would trust in what He does and in how He does it. Put all of your confidence in the Lord. Trust in Him. And this will help you to see all that is wrong in your life in the way that God sees it. God, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why this person hates me. I don't know why these calamities are taking place around me. But God, I'm going to trust in you because you've not left me. You've not abandoned me. 
And, and here's what it looks like. It, David even gives us a picture. David, whose life every one of us could look at and say, there are times where he's completely confiding in the Lord, and there are times where he doesn't. And he's this is what confidence in the Lord looks like. Trusting that God is going to do God things looks like this. That we're people who do good even when bad happens. That we dwell in the land and we befriend faithfulness even when people are faithless to us. That while others do evil around you, that we still do good. That's what it looks like for those who follow after Yahweh, who has shown himself to us in Jesus. That's what our lives look like. And that's not always what my life looks like. Trust in the Lord. The world is broken and shattered and hopeless. Yet those who hope in Yahweh are whole and filled with hope. The second thing we see is that we would conform in verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. <coughs> Delighting in the Lord leads to conformity with the Lord. The root word means to be soft, to be delicate, to be pliable. So what is this telling us? Delighting in the Lord does not make him more moldable for me. Delighting in the Lord makes me more pliable in His hands. Because as I delight in the Lord, my heart softens to the things that He would have me to do, the person He would have me to be, the life He would have me to live. Most of us subconsciously read verses like this as cause, effect, give good, get good. Yet God would have us to read this and see that as we delight in the Lord, we don't simply get good because that's short. We delight in the Lord and we get God. Delighting in God makes us want Him. Pliable hearts want from God. Definitely. However, pliable hearts are shaped by God and in so being shaped, He shapes our wants. God would have us to be pliable, to be delighting in Him, softened to Him. And then we see in verse 5 that we would commit ourselves to the Lord. That our lives as people who belong to God, revealed to us in Jesus would be committed to Him. What that means is that there will be moments where what I want to do and what I want to be is not what God wants me to do or who He would have me to be. So I have to trust one thing or the other. I can trust my gut, but that gets us in bad spots. Or I can trust in the faithfulness of God presented to me from His Word over and over and over. So 
Solomon says this to us in the, in the book of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. But I want to lean to my understanding. Anybody else? Just me. Just the guy up here talking to us. I'm good. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. The ways you want, the ways you don't. And He will direct your path. But Paul says it like this, and I love this. I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that's good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. This is Thursday for me. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. Paul points out his continuous struggle with the desire to do things that are unlike God. And all that we see driving him is grace, which provides obedience. Commit to the Lord. You're not always going to want to. Well, what are the practical places where we see this? I don't always want to be nice to people. Especially dumb people. Dumb people are the worst. I don't always want to keep my cool when I'm interacting with people about my children. I don't always want to be kind to referees. I don't always want to be gracious with those who disagree with me. Because I believe I'm 100% right 100% of the time. Which is not true. Though I didn't want to say that. We see this playing out over and over and over. I don't want to be kind to servers. I don't want to be kind to those who are causing my life minor distress. But committing to the Lord. The Lord who loves us and is for us and has been kind to us in Jesus. Committing to the Lord. Means that we are pliable in His hands. And what he would want from my life is what people see. The fault with us, anger and envy towards evildoers, the fix from God, all of these things that we've looked at, confide, conform, commit. But finally we see the how. There are none of these things that I can do or you can do on your own. 
There are none of these things that I have the, the willpower to even buddy up with God and do. What God would have for me follows Him is that as I give myself over to, to Him and Him shaping me, verse 6 says, He will bring forth righteousness as a light. And he will bring forth justice as the noonday. So when my life, as someone who knows Jesus, is given over to Jesus, even when I don't want to give myself to Jesus, when I trust him, The hope is that the righteousness and justice of Jesus would be present because He is my righteousness and He is my justice. God has united us with Christ Jesus. The scriptures say, Our benefit, God made Him to be wisdom itself. God made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. And in Jesus, He freed us from sin. Our justice is in Jesus. Jude says this to us. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you. So Jesus keeps you from stumbling. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through the Lord Jesus Christ be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time now and forever. Delighting in the Lord and receiving the desires of my heart means that what I have chosen to do with my life and my relationship with the Lord does not cause me to have pockets that are full, but it helps my life to show that Jesus has filled me. That my righteousness comes from Him, that my justice comes from Him, that the way that I see the world that He has placed me in comes from Him, that I weep over what He weeps over, that I hurt over what He hurts over, that I care for what He cares for, that I'm broken by what He is broken over. Righteousness and justice present in the lives of believers. So we think through how Jesus impacts and affects us. And we would hope that our lives will be turned to Him. And in so doing, we see that He's the one that's done the turning. Delight in me and you'll desire after me. And this circle continues forever and ever. And pray over us this morning. Jesus, we thank You for today. We thank You for what You offer us. We thank you that we get to worship you and we get to open your word and we get to hear about you. We thank you, Jesus, that scriptures tell us that you are our justice and our righteousness, that you are our forgiveness, that God, you are holy, that Jesus, you are the one who makes us acceptable before God, that you are the one who presents us as blameless. And as we've seen in the book of Colossians, Lord, we, we see that we were people who were evildoers and angry. And, and, and in you, Jesus, we are holy and blameless and above reproach. Jesus, I pray that the lives of this faith family that meets together every Sunday, we, we would demonstrate those things because we believe you and we trust you. 
And we know that you are better than the things that we could focus on apart from you. You're better than my anger. You're better than my rage. You're better than my sin nature. You're better than my struggles. You're worth my commitment. You're worth my love. Jesus, you're, you're the God who we worship and who we sing to. So we ask and we say all these things in your powerful name, Lord Jesus. If you need me, I'll be in the back of the room.